this whole thing with the coronavirus, you know, the whole thing's crazy. I mean, one moment, you know, things are fine. Then the next thing you know, you know, everybody's worried about getting it. And people are running to Walmart and Costco and whatever else to get toilet paper. But you know, there's another thing that you can catch if you're not careful. And it's false teaching. I mean, you just look around. You've got your Mormons, you've got your Jehovah's Witnesses, you got your you got you got your Muslims, you got man, it's out there. And every day, people fall for all the wrong stuff. You know, um, we've been in Second Peter, and last week, Bill finished off chapter 1, and he talked about the importance of the Word of God. And, you know, folks, there's just no getting away from it. You want to be safe from the disease of bad doctrine? You want to be safe from being led astray? Then, folks, you have to spend time in God's Word. And not only time in God's Word, but you've got to spend time with other brothers and sisters who believe that Word. Because you know what? Satan is always there to deceive you. He's always there trying to get you to go down the wrong road. I was talking to a, a, a friend at work, and uh, you know he, he had told me that he was a believer, and I, I thought, oh, that's wonderful. And then in the course of our conversation one day, he was telling me that he watches Joel Osteen every week. And, you know, my heart sank. I mean, if that's what you think that good Christian doctrine is, that's a sad state of affairs. There's a lot of people who look like the right thing, look like the, the real thing, they smell like the real thing, and if you tasted them, they would taste like the real thing, sort of. But they're not. So right after chapter 1, where it talks about the Word of God, talks about its importance and your need to, to, to study it, we go into chapter 2 here where he says, There were indeed false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them and will bring swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved ways, and the way of truth will be maligned because of them. They will exploit you in their greed. With made-up stories, their condemnation pronounced long ago is not idle, and their destruction does not sleep. For if God didn't spare the angels who sinned, but cast them into hell, and delivered them in chains of utter darkness to be kept 
for judgment. And if he didn't spare the ancient world, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others when he brought the flood on the world of the ungodly, and if he reduced the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes and condemned them to distinct extinction, making them an example of what is coming to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, distressed by the depraved behavior of the immoral, for as that righteous man lived amongst them day by day, his righteous soul was tormented by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the ungodly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, especially those who follow polluting desires of the flesh and despise authority. Bold, arrogant people, they are not afraid to slander the glorious ones. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray that you would be with every person here. I just pray that, Lord, that you would open our hearts, that you would open our, our minds so that we can understand that what you put here in your word. And, Lord, we just pray that you would, you would help us to, to live in accordance with your word so that we can glorify your holy name in all we say and all we do. Lord, guide us. We sing in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, you know... Right after the end of chapter 1, where he's talking about the importance of the Word of God, he starts talking about false teachers. And here's what he says about them. There are indeed false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. So here's the first thing you need to take into account about these guys. False teachers are like death taxes in the poor they're always going to be with you you know one of the things that happened in, in the Southern Baptist Convention was there was a big fight to get rid of all those who were teaching liberal doctrine who were teaching against the authority sufficiency and inerrancy of scripture it took 20 years for all that to happen but, you know, once it was over, it wasn't really over. And it's never really over because these guys are always trying to get back in. They are drawn to healthy churches. They are drawn to healthy theological schools like moss to flames. They can't help themselves. They've got to get in, and they've got to in, exert their influence. Let's take a look at some of what the Scripture has to say about these guys. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 7. And let's look at um, verse 13. And he says here, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate? 
and difficult the road that leads to life, and few there are who find it. He says, you know, you got this broad gate, and you got this narrow gate. And you know, the broad gate, you can go through any kind of way you want. You can go through it on skates. You can go through it, you can go through it on a surfboard. They don't care. You just you just come. They'll be glad to take you. There's a little problem with that broad gate, isn't there? Where does it take you? It takes you to hell. And here's the thing about that broad gate. One of the things it says here is it says that this broad gate leads to destruction. The word for leads is the Greek word apagusa. And it carries this idea that you are in chains and you are being dragged off to your execution. So right after he gets done talking about the broad gate, he talks about the narrow gate. And here's one of the things that he says. It's narrow and it's difficult. And here's something else he says. Few there are who find it. And right after he gets done talking about these two gates, it's interesting what he says next. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. And a good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you will recognize them by their fruit. Here's the thing. Right after he gets done talking about the two gates and the roads that they lead to, he talks about false prophets. Why? Because the false prophets are always pointing towards the broad gate. And they're always leading people down that road. And he says, look, you be careful. You watch out for them because they're out there. Let's take a look at something else. Let's go to look at Acts chapter 20. And let's go to verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church. And when, he came to him, when they came to him, he said to them, You know, from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and during the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews, you know that I did not avoid proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching you publicly and from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I'm on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit, not knowing 
what I will encounter there, except that in every town that the Holy Spirit warns me that change and afflictions are waiting for me. But I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course in the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And now that I know that none of you among whom I went out preaching the kingdom will ever see me again, therefore I declare to you this day I'm innocent of the blood of all of you because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on alert, remembering that night and day for three years, I never stopped warning each one of you with tears. Look, this is just the nature of the beast. They are always there, waiting for an opportunity to peel people off from church. They're always waiting for an opportunity to come into some kind of leadership. They're always waiting for some kind of opportunity to make a mess of things, to peel people, to deceive them, to lead them down the broad road. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And let's go to verse 12. But I continue to do what I am doing in order to deny an opportunity to those who want to be regarded as our equals and about what they boast. For such people are false apostles, deceitfully worker, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no great surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will be according to their works. Like I said before, these guys, they look good. They smell good. They, they do everything. They appear to do everything, right? And they suck people in, and they deceive them. And they take them down the broad road. And, you know, people look around and they say, hey, those are good people. They're moral people. They... Every false religion is a systems of works righteousness. And every person in those systems, they are deceived. Let's take a look at one more verse. Let's go to 2 Timothy. And let's go to chapter 3. 
Let's go to verse 13. One of the things he says here is this. Evil people and imposters will become worse. Deceiving and being deceived. You know, they're deceived themselves. And so they're busy deceiving others. So let's take a look at what Second Peter has to say about the nature of these false teachers, these false prophets. Number one, they are creepy. Okay? He says... In verse 1, he says, There were indeed false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, and they will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, and will bring with and bring swift destruction on themselves. Okay? So these guys, like I said, they look good, but they're deceitful. Here's one of the interesting things. There is a there is another uh, section of scripture that looks just like Second Peter. Turn with me, if you will, to Jude. Damn. One of the things about Jude is you don't have to talk about the chapter because there's only one. Well, let's go to Jude 3. He says... Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was delivered to all the saints for once and for all. For some people who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. This is the way this translation has another tra translation says have secretly crept in among you. Like I said, they're creepy. They use stealth. They secretly come in. And then they begin to deceive people. And, and here's, here's the interesting thing, okay? When you look at what Jude and you look at Second Peter chapter two, there's so much in these two two sections of scripture that look similar. Some even some scholars even believe they were written by the same person. And one of the things that he says here, he he, he starts off with verse three saying, "You know, I was going to write you about you know our common salvation. You know, once and for all, delivered to the saints." He says, but it became apparent, i got to talk about these false teachers. Because like I said before, they're always there. And they're always trying to get in. So let's go back to 2 Peter. 
So these guys are creepy. But here's something else. It says in verse 1 that they denied the Lord who bought them. These guys are rebellious. They're always running up to the edge. These guys play fast and loose with doctrine and scripture and creeds. You know, when I was teaching in seminary, there are some guys I knew who looked at the creeds as if they were tinker toys to be played with. You know, in Nicaea and in, in Constantinople, they said that Jesus, that, that our God is three persons, one substance. In Chalcedon, they said that Jesus Christ is one person with two natures, one fully human, the other fully divine. And for centuries, those two creeds determined who was in, within the boundaries of orthodoxy and who was outside. And yet, you had some of these guys who had a snoop full of education, and they thought, well, you know, I don't really have to follow these two things. I can change them. I can ignore them. Well, no, you can't. These guys, there's no boundaries for them. So they don't mind moving the line. So they're creepy, they're rebellious. Verse 2 says, many follow their depraved ways, and the way of truth will be maligned because of them. So it says that... Among other things, they indulge in their sensuality. They are sensuous people. And here's the other thing. They blaspheme the truth. Well, you know, there was this once and for all delivered to the saints' faith, but you know, we can change that. We can ignore that. And that's what every false religion does. And you know, one of the things I, I saw my first year, my first year, my first month in seminary as a student, you know, I go walking into the library, and, and you know, and I'm, I'm a book person, okay, so I, I love I love books. I love libraries, you know. You know, Kindle is a, is, a, is a neat tool, but, you know, there's just no substitute for having something in your hands. You know what I mean? And I just love being in libraries where there's, and so I just, you know, you know, I got to figure, you know, it doesn't say this in, anywhere in, the, in, in Revelation or anywhere, but I got to figure there's the library there in heaven. Anyways, you know, one of the things about these guys is they blaspheme the truth and many follow them. 
So when I was in seminary that first month, I picked up this, this journal, you know, because I didn't know what it was, you know, was, I'd never heard of this thing. It was Review of Religious Research Journal. Oh, I'm like, hmm, what's, this, what's this about? So I open it up, and there's an article about change, the tr- quiet transformation in the Southern Baptist Convention. And it, one of the things in this was a study that was done in the 80s, and here's what they found. Of those who were working for a diploma at the seminary, 90-some percent of them believed in things like biblical inerrancy, believed in miracles, the virgin birth, you know, and the return of Christ. When you got to the master's level, the number dropped to like 74, 75%. And when you got to the PhD level, the number dropped down to the 40s. So what was clear is, for some people, the more education they got, the more liberal they became. And you know, some of these guys... When they graduate from seminary with their Ph.D., you know, the seminary president may as well just stamp 007 across that degree because now they were licensed to kill, and that's what they're going to do. They're going to go out, and they're going to kill some church. And let me tell you, some of these people have all the degrees. They got all the credentials. They got all the everything. And some people have none of it. But they deceive people and lead them down the wrong roads. So they're rebellious, they're creepy, and they're sensuous, they blaspheme the truth. Verse 3 here says, They will exploit you in their greed with made-up stories, their condemnation pronounced long ago is not idle, and their destruction does not sleep so Here's something else you see. They're greedy. Okay, you look at some of these guys on television. And some of them are just straight up about it. They want your money. You know, they're always talking about, well, you need, you need to send in your seed, Faith. You need, how many of you remember Reverend Ike? Any of you remember, any of you old enough to remember Reverend Ike? I mean, this dude, I mean, he was, he was outrageous. I mean, he separated people from their money like there was no tomorrow. And, and, and somehow he convinced people that by doing so, that they were going to be better off. Well, near as I could tell, the only one who was better off was, was Reverend Ike. And you know, these guys are greedy. It also says they're condemned. Now let's look at just a few things that these guys actually do. What do false teachers do? Okay. Verse 1 says, they bring in destructive heresies. And by so doing, 
they bring on swift destruction to themselves. Verse 2 says, they lead people into sensuality. Verse 3 says, they exploit people with false words. I mean, you know, some of these guys are really good. I mean, they can say so many of the right things. But be wrong at some very critical points. They're smooth. They're deceptive. And the scripture continually warns you to watch out for them. Let's take a look at verse 4 here. Verses 4 through 8. What you see here is that the Lord knows how to deal with these kind of characters. Verse 4 says, For if God did spare the angels who sinned, but cast them into hell and deliver them in chains of utter darkness to be kept for judgment. And if he didn't spare the ancient world, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others when he brought, when he brought the flood on the world of the ungodly, and if he reduced the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes and condemned them to the extinction, making them an example of what is coming to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, Distressed by the depraved behavior of the immoral, for as that righteous man lived among them day by day, his righteous soul was tormented by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the, un- the godly from trials and keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. So what you see is in this section of Scripture, and he, he names a number of these unrighteous people that he's got punishment for. And then he names some of the righteous that he brings through the fire. And you know, he doesn't do it as quickly as we think he will sometimes. I mean, let's face it. Someone said that a lie travels around the world twice before truth can even get its shoes on. And justice is that way also. But it's coming. The Lord is coming and he's going to deal with them. Turn to Matthew chapter 13. Oh, let's see. Matthew chapter 13. Let's take a look at verse 36. 
Then he said he left the crowds and went to the house, and his disciples approached him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he replied, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed, and the good seed these are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Therefore, as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather uh, from his kingdom all who cause sin, and those guilty of lawlessness, and they will throw them into a blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the righteous will shine like the sun, in their Father's kingdom, let anyone who has ears listen. Okay? So, in this parable of the wheat and the tares, he says, look, you got, you got the wheat, but you also got this plant called the tares. And here's the thing about the tares. They look just like the wheat. But they're not wheat. And one of the interesting things about the wheat, about the tares, is that their roots get tangled in with the roots of the wheat. So if you or I try to pull out the tares, you know what happens? You pull out the wheat. Now, you know, There are some believers in churches, or there are some people in churches who are deceived. And it's not our job to figure them out. But you know, these guys who are spreading these false seeds, we can figure them out. We know who they are. And we still have to be careful even with them. Because, you know, these guys, like I said, they're so good at sucking people in. The Lord's going to take care of them on his timetable. So, in 2 Peter, chapter 2, verse 9 says this. Then the Lord, no, the Lord, oh, I'm sorry. Let's go back to verse 7. And if he rescued righteous Lot, Distressed by the depraved behavior of the immoral. For as that righteous man lived among them day by day, his righteous soul was tormented by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Now folks, if you belong to him, When you see some of the lawless, unrighteous deeds being carried out in this world, it should grieve you. If you belong to him, it should bother you. And it should motivate you to do justice and righteousness to the degree that you can. But you know, Perfect justice, perfect righteousness is not going to happen 
until the Lord returns. And he reigns for a thousand years. And here's the, the truly amazing thing. After a thousand years of perfect justice, a thousand years of perfect righteousness, Satan's released for just a little bit of time. And you know what happens? People still rebel. And the Lord has to deal with them. Now, if you belong to him, all the suffering you're going to deal with comes in this life. You don't belong to him, you're going to suffer in the next life. Here's the thing. He's going to bring justice and righteousness. And here's what he's not going to do. He's not going to bring social justice. He's not going to bring economic justice. He's not going to bring environmental justice. He's not going to bring racial justice. He's going to bring his justice. And today, you got people emphasizing environmental or racial or economic or, so, you know, so, all these different sorts of, quote, social justice. Well, in a very real sense of the word, all justice is social. All true justice. You know, every time you put an adjective onto this word justice, I mean, it just sucks the meaning out of the word justice. Let's look at verse 10 here. He says, and especially those who follow the polluting desires of the flesh and despise authority. You know, false teachers... You can't tell them anything. They're just like a Harvard grad. You know? You can tell a Harvard grad, you just can't tell them much. And you know, these people despise authority. They're an authority. Authority unto themselves. This is one of the reasons we have to keep watch. Because one of the things that they'll do is it says they'll despise, they're bold and they're arrogant. And they're not afraid to slander. The word is kuriates. Or lordships. Or dominions. These are different ranks of angels. You know, I can remember back in the day, you know, some of these word of faith preachers are saying stuff like, well, I just put the devil in a headlock. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? How do you do that? 
And the way you talk about, you know, these angelic powers in such, such bad ways, let's go back to Jude for a moment. Let's go to verse 8. In the same way, these people, relying on their dreams, defile their flesh, reject authority, and slander curiates, or glorious ones. Yet, when Michael the archangel was disputing with the devil in an argument about Moses' body, he did not dare utter a slanderous condemnation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme anything they do not understand. And what they do understand by instinct, like irrational animals, by these things they are destroyed. Now, you know, The word tells those who are teachers to be careful. Be careful what you teach because you will be held accountable. These guys, they ignore that. They don't think it applies to them. You know, one of the ways that, you know, the gospel is being compromised these days is by Marxism. Okay, you got people combining, you know, Christianity and, and Marxism, and the two primary forms it takes today is is liberation theology, and the other is critical theory, or more particular these days, critical race theory. Now you think you might think, okay. Christianity and communism, Marxism, they got some things in common. What's the worst thing that can happen? Right? How many of you remember Jim Jones? What do you remember about Jim Jones? Did you know that he started studying communism in his early 20s. Did you know that, well, yeah, he knew the scriptures, but he thought that the way to expand communism in this country was through the church. And, you know, one of the other things about Jim Jones was that he was a civil rights leader. So he took Marxism, social justice, and he mixed it in with the gospel. And what resulted was the believer's temple. And how did that play out? 900 people committed suicide in Guyana. Over 300 of them children. 
killed a congressman, Leo Ryan, and a bunch of other people with him. What's the worst that can happen? Here's the really bad thing about all that. Those 900 people believed a false gospel. And when they died, they went straight to hell. So here's the thing. What do we do? Well, the first thing is you've got to have good teachers. Turn with me to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. And here's what he says. saying is trustworthy. If anyone desires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach, a husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not an excessive drinker, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy. He must manage his own household competently and have his children under control with all dignity. And if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? He must not be a new convert, or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. So what this boils down to is two things here. No one, you have to have Christian character. You do the right things, and as a result, you have the right reputation. You have Christian character. Here's the other thing. You have to be able to teach. You don't have to have the, the, the gift of evangelism. You don't have to have the gift of healing. You don't have to have the gift of mercy. You don't have to, but you do have to have the gift of teaching. And so, you know, there's four possible combinations you can have as a result. You can have those who don't have the gift of teaching and don't have Christian character. And, you know, it's fairly obvious those guys shouldn't be in the ministry. But I'm here to tell you, sadly, there's too many of those guys in the ministry. You have some guys who have Christian character but they don't have the ability to teach. These guys, they mean well. But ultimately, they're going to be frustrated because, well, they're not really feeding the sheep. Because, look, the job of the pastor is to feed the sheep, to lead the sheep, and take care of sheep. And let me tell you, if you can't teach the sheep, let me tell you, the sheep ain't going to stay with you for that long. So here's the most dangerous one. The guy who has the gift 
doesn't have the character. Let me tell you, guys who have the gift, when people hear that sort of guy, they assume he's got the character to go with it. And because he lacks the character, he can lead people in all kinds of directions. But the one who has both the gift and the character, that's the winning combination. And by the way, that's our pastor. Here's the other thing. You need to inoculate yourself against false doctrine with the truth. You know, you know how bank tellers can tell if a bill is counterfeit? Here's what they don't do. What they don't do is study counterfeit bills. What they do instead is they study the real thing. That way, when they see the false thing, they can spot it. So what that means is, folks, you need to be in God's Word. And you need to be with people who are in God's Word. Because iron strengthens iron, right? And together, well, you can detect problems. All of that just reminds me of one of my favorite hymns. Last night I, I had dinner with the Gillowans. And you know, um, as uh, we, were, we were sitting and talking, I, I you know, have a, a bunch of books and you know, I just gravitate towards books. And, and one of the things that I saw on their shelves, they had all five volumes of uh, J. Vernon McGee's commentaries. How many of you have ever listened to J. Vernon McGee? Yeah, I love that guy. And I love the hymn that they play with that program. How firm a foundation. How firm a foundation. Ye saints of the Lord. He is laid for your faith with his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? Folks, inoculate yourselves with the truth of God's Word. Be on your guard. And trust the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we, we just thank you for the truth of your Word. And Lord, I, I just pray that everyone here, I pray that everyone here knows you. But Lord, if there are those who don't know you, I, I pray that, Lord, that you would speak to their hearts, that you would open the eyes of their understanding, and that you would draw them nearer to you. Lord, guide us 
Lord, protect this church. Lord, help us to draw closer to you and be what you would have us to be. These things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.